Turn with me over to the book of John. Book of John. We're going to look at chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. The title of the message is Finding God, Finding God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had already been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon, Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Verse 8, so the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet... They did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, verse 10. So the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Verse 13, and they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was him. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene, verse 18, came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Lord, help as we study. Five things I'd like to point out to you regarding this passage. One, what it means to search and not find. What it means to find and not recognize. What it means to recognize and then turn. What it means to turn and then cling. And then what it means to cling and then tell. Mary of Magdala was an unusual disciple. First of all, she was a woman. She wasn't a part of the 12, but she was nonetheless significant in the band. She was a woman from whom seven devils had been cast out, demons. Now, I know the popular thought amongst most of the analytical, psychoanalytical community is that devils and demons do not exist, and that most issues that plague humanity from which people cannot find any help or self-control, they can be dealt with through good counsel and medication, and I'm not against kind of help that can be found through the medical profession or the counseling profession. 
I spend a lot of time talking to people about how to get over their issues. But I know one thing, you can't medicate a devil. And demons do still exist. This other world, this spiritual environment, this reality that we cannot see is real. And there is a devil. And he hates you. The reason he hates you is because you remind him of God. You're made in his image. And though you may not act like it, you may not talk like it very much. You may not even look like it very much when people try to view you and see God. He sees, and the residual presence that is there makes him angry because he doesn't like God, but he can't get to him, so he gets you. And he'll do everything he possibly can to try to deter you from God's purposes. His only purpose and mission on the earth, the devil's, is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's it. He has no good in mind for you. There is no good in him. You can only give what you've got, and he has no good. He only gives death. He comes to take. And although he is one being, they can only be in one place at one time. He has minions, and these minions are called demons or devils. And these demonic spirits sometimes oppress, repress, or possess people. Seven of them had been in Mary of Magdala. Now, one will really mess up your day. One will make your life miserable. She had seven. And I'm not quite sure how people knew there were seven. There was a book that was popular in a movie made called Sybil when I was younger. All the 50-year-olds, I remember that. <clears throat> and it was about a woman who had multiple personalities. You don't know which one will come out whenever. I don't know how these seven manifested themselves or whether they did while other people saw them, but we do know that when she was dealt with by God, that they all came out and they must have identified themselves for somebody to say there were seven. But seven will really mess up your life, mess up your life so much that number one, you realize I can't get free of that which is binding me. Number two, can anybody help me? Can anybody get me delivered from this because I can't control myself? Now, none of you may have had that experience. I hope none of you have had that kind of experience. But you have all been in the place, if you've lived long enough, to realize there are things you do that you wish you had not. Things you do you wish you would not. And you sit there and you scratch your head afterwards and say, why did I do that? And then secondly, you say, why am I doing this? I know I shouldn't go here. Mama told me. Everybody told me, don't do that, stop this. But I keep going that way and I don't know how to stop myself. There is nobody on the planet who is as controlled as they ought to be over their own will. You think you are the master of your own destiny. You are not. There is an enemy and if you are not oppressed, you are at least being influenced by somebody who is trying to get you to go the wrong way so you don't go the right way. Because if you go the right way, you just might become bread. You just might be appointed to stand up and talk to people about going the right way regularly and influence a lot of people. And I don't want anybody to do that, says the enemy. So he says, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to stop them from going the right way because they just might be called to help change the world. And remember, this is all he's got, this planet. He doesn't possess heaven. 
Adam gave him reins of the planet when he, when he turned it over and said, okay, I'll obey you rather than God. And so he's been a usurper ever since Eden. And he's tried to take control of this earth. And all God has been trying to do since that time is give control back to his man and reassert his authority on the planet he created. And so every time somebody gets right, it's a little bit more territory taken away from the enemy. He hates it. So if you have not been in the place of possession or the place of oppression, at least at some point in your life you've been influenced and God wants to set you free. Even as he has set free Mary of Magdala. Oh, she comes to the tomb. Why? Jesus died very close to the Sabbath. In fact, so close that there was no way for them to finish the burial preparations. There was a whole embalming, not embalming, a whole ritualistic uh, wrapping of linens with spices that would preserve the body. And the Jewish uh, calendar for a day actually began at 6 p.m., not 12 a.m. So Jesus was crucified on a Friday, but the Sabbath began at 6 p.m. on Friday night. That was the beginning of the next day. So there, there wasn't enough time for them to really make all the burial preparations. So they did what they could, and they kind of put him in the grave, and they thought, I'll come back after the Sabbath, which would have been that Sunday, when I wake up, and I'll finish. And Mary was the one who wanted to make sure his body was prepared as it should be, so she arrives at the grave. And she arrives at the grave, and there's nobody. I mean, nobody there and nobody in the grave. Now, it's unusual because everybody in the Jewish community knew that this grave was unusual. Not that it was an unusual grave, but it was tended to unusually in that the owner of the grave, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a prominent man in, in uh, Jerusalem, gave the grave to Christ in his death. And the Jew, Jewish leaders thought, okay, this guy talked about rising from the dead when he was alive. We don't think that can happen, but his, his followers very well might try to steal the body and then say he's risen from the grave, and then that lie will be worse than the ones he told while he was here, and we're not going to be able to refute it because we won't find the body. So, uh, Caesar, could, uh, Pilate, Caesar, Pilate, could you please put a guard, guard, armed guard around the, the tomb so the disciples don't come and take the body away? So they put 36 men there, and everybody knew. Mary of Magdala realized that she was going to have a, a, a task trying to convince these guards to give her access to the tomb to finish because there was a Roman seal put on the tomb. There was a stone that was rolled in front of a hole, this cave, it really was. And the stone blocked anybody from getting in and obviously anything from getting out. But because it was under Roman guard, they actually put a seal between the wall of the cave, which was right there at the hole, and the stone itself that was rolled in front of the, of the cave. And that seal, if it was broken meant that anybody who was guarding the cave then had to suffer the penalty of death by burning with their own clothes. These 36 soldiers were duly incentivized to make sure that nobody broke that seal. Are you listening to me? So Mary knew she was going to have a problem getting in, but she wanted to make sure that, that the, the body of the one she loved so much was cared for. Even in death, she was trying to make sure things were done right. She cared for Christ so much. Why? Because nobody helped her like he did. 
And at some point in your life, I beg you, love God and do for him, not because he says so, but because he's done so. Has he helped you? Has he strengthened you? Even when you didn't serve him, did he still give you the privilege of breathing? That's not a bad benefit, by the way, breathing. I mean, think about it. You don't even have to think about it. It just happens. Wouldn't it be terrible if you had to always think about taking your next breath? What if you forgot? I mean, you just fall over. You don't have to think. It just happens. God made your autonomic nervous system work to such a degree that you could just do that. And then there's air to breathe on top of that. He provides for you even when you haven't served him. He's loved you and cared for you and watched over you so that that bus that was supposed to hit you that was appointed by the enemy did not, and you didn't even know that it was coming for you. This is the goodness of our God. Please, I beg you, be like Mary of Magdala because we have no record that Jesus ever said, follow me to her. She just wound up there. It was, it was like, I, I, I just I want to serve you because you serve me. You've helped me. She just wanted to do. So she shows up at the tomb, and to her surprise, guard's gone. Stone rolled away. And we're not talking about a little rock that you could push away with your foot. It's a 2,000-pound stone. And it was carved. It was slotted in a carved spot, a V, in front of the, 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 the hole of the cave. So that when you moved the stone in front of the hole, it would never move. And if you had to move it, then you had to move it up the V angle to get it out. So it was doubly difficult to move. No one person, no two people could do it. And you surely wouldn't risk it if there was a 36-man guard armed to make sure that you did not. Plus, there's no record of us ever thinking, no reason for us to believe that the disciples were courageous enough to do something like that. I mean, just 36 hours, they were running for their lives. Peter wouldn't confess Jesus before a little servant girl the night, you know, on Friday night. And so nothing about the disciples was saying, buck up, men, let's go. Let's ride. Let's pull Jesus out. <laughs> nothing. It was like, stay away. Let's just stay, let's hide out. Let's make sure they don't get us too. Oh, God, help, please help, 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 help. Stone was rolled away. Mary looks in. Nobody. She goes into deeper mourning. The one she had loved was gone. She couldn't even finish the burial process. Just begins to sink into depression. She tells the disciples they've taken the, the body. We don't know what they've done. The disciples run, Peter and John. They come in, see, and believe, it says. says John believed what the woman said. I don't know why he didn't believe her to begin with. What's wrong with you, John? What's wrong with you, Peter? Believe the woman. I got a lot to say about believing women. She runs back to the tomb, and she doesn't know what else to do. Peter and John went on back and says to their homes, wherever they were in Jerusalem, she doesn't know what to do. But she is weeping, weeping because she loves this one who helped her so much. You can almost hear the conversation in heaven where God says, uh, angels, you're going to have to go help her. Yeah, 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 get, get down there and do, stay, tell her something. She peeks her head in the tomb. The angels say, who are you looking for? He's gone just like he said. He's risen. 
Tell me where you put them. I'll go get them. <sighs> okay, Lord, we didn't help much. Okay, Jesus, you're going to have to go. <laughs> oh, we search for God where he is not. Too often we try to find him where we put him last, where we think he ought to be according to our prescription. We planned out our life so well, we know he's going to show up right there, right? I mean, we've got our whole occupational path set. Lord, you're going to do this. I'm going to get my MS from here. I'm going to go ahead and get my degree from here. I'm going to get a PhD, and they're going to wind up here, published out there. And then God doesn't show up exactly when you think. Lord, I've got my plan out now. I, I, I need to get my career together, and then you're going to bring me Mr. Wright. Lord, I have it this way. I, I got my career and, and, and my, my children at such an age. Once I've established myself, then I'm going to, and all of a sudden you're pregnant at 24. After you're married, pregnant at 24. <laughs> you wonder, God, what, your, your finances get a little funny. You wonder, Lord, I thought you were supposed to bless me. I'm, I'm, I'm giving. Hear me. You are the first person to lose God. Where'd you go, Lord? I thought, I thought you and me, we were in this together. What happened? How did you not show up when I thought you were supposed to? The beautiful thing about Mary is that she just doesn't quit. She lingers. She hangs around. She waits on whatever she needs to find consolation. Many people, when God doesn't show up when they want him to, bye. They check out. Didn't work for me. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't come through when I needed him to. Since when has he co-signed your plan? I can't find that in my Bible. By the way, your plan's not that good. It's just not that good. I mean, you think it's good, but it's not that good. It's not that good. See, you're not him. You make a really bad God. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't fix what happened wrong yesterday, and you're messing up today. You make a really bad God, so what makes you think you can plan really well your entire life and then you want God to co-stamp it? Are you kidding me? You need to live long enough to where you can say, thank you for not answering my prayers. I've been there. I've done that. And I, went, I raised my hands over, over stuff I thought was really important to me. Really, really good stuff. Not bad stuff, good stuff. And I thank him now he did not answer my prayer. When I was young, and, and God, I, <clears throat> I, uh, somebody said, you need, to, you need to make sure your prayers are specific. And I thought one of the most important prayers I needed to pray was that for a wife, of a wife. I, mean, I wanted the right person to be compatible with my ministry and my life. And, and so I laid out exactly what I wanted her to be. Had about 10 characteristic, characteristics for me that were really non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. <laughs> And, and, and I had them out. I had them out to 10. It was just wonderful, wonderful. Had to be this, 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 and this. And then I meet my, uh, uh, Cynthia Wakefield in 1985. And I looked at my characteristics. She didn't meet any of them. <laughs> None of them. She exceeded all of them. Whatever you dream about is usually all wrong or too small. What makes you think your plan is so good? And when God doesn't show up to endorse it, don't be mad. Be happy because he's got a better one. I couldn't ask for a better. My wife's as good as they get since Eve. 
When you lose God, don't get mad. It's an opportunity for you to continue to seek. She lost him. She, he wasn't where she last laid him. And you can lose God in your religion. You can lose God in your practice. You can lose God a lot of ways. Mary and Joseph, on the way to Jerusalem for the feast. Jesus is 12 at this point, Luke chapter 2. And the Jews have to go to a feast every, uh, three times a year, three feasts. And it's kind of a, a spiritual conference for them. A week, a vacation, offering to God. A moment to reconnect with the entire family of Israel. It's a huge moment. They lived in Galilee, which is about 90 miles south, excuse me, 90 miles north of Jerusalem. So they had to walk, uh, ride, and, and, and because all the Jews had to be there, generally it was a caravan of people that come down. And kids would stay in one another's tents and have sleepovers and all kinds of stuff. So everybody was everybody's. It took a village to raise all those people. They get to Jerusalem. It's been a great week. They get coming back home. And uh, they're a day's journey out from Jerusalem, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 miles. And, and Mary and Joseph recognize, um, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Mary says, I don't know. I thought you had him. Well, I thought you had him. They go looking at everybody else's tent. You seen Jesus? No. Oh, we lost Jesus. Jesus, help. We lost Jesus. They run all the way back to Jerusalem, which is another day's journey. Now it's been two days, and they haven't found their child. Now, Jesus is 12 at this time. And so, you know, they don't have to watch him like he's two. And it's Jesus. I mean, he's the son of God. He's the best child ever. He never does anything wrong. He's always responsible. He's a good steward of his moments. He just doesn't do it. So you don't have to be concerned about Jesus. But they lost Jesus in their traditions. They lost Jesus in their planning. They lost Jesus. They lost God in doing what they've always done the way they've always done it. They search in Jerusalem. They can't find him. He's... He's on, he's on milk cartons now. Amber alert for Jesus. And can you imagine how Joseph and Mary must think? Uh, Father God, we lost your boy. <laughs> I know we're responsible. We're responsible. I got it. We're, yeah, it's us. we're going to find him. I promise you. We're going to find him. We're going to find him. They felt really, really bad. And finally, they go to the temple. And why do they go to the temple? Not because they necessarily think Jesus is there. They go to the temple to get some prayer. That's what they're probably thinking. Pray for us. We lost God. And they see Jesus discussing the highest level of spiritual and theological things with the PhDs of the day. Sociological ramifications of this passage and that. And they're just, he's going. And, and the, the, the teachers are sitting there looking at Jesus. Where did this boy get this info? He's amazing. He's schooling them. And rather than being impressed that Jesus was in the house of God, Mary and Joseph look, look at him and say, how could you have done this to us? We've been looking for you. And Jesus respectfully helps them. He disciples his parents. He says, how did you not know I wouldn't be in the house? He said, where my father is, I thought I'd be here. Why didn't you look first here? And why would you be in any way concerned? You got to look for him in the right spot. And generally speaking, you've come this morning, and he's here. He's here. Now... I realize that you may have come 
on the reputation of who we are as a people. Somebody told you, oh, that's a fairly good church. Go there and try them out. Or maybe somebody drug you here because it's Easter and you feel guilty that you had to show up. I don't know how you got here. I'm happy you're here. I really am. Thank you for choosing us. It's really special. But one thing I don't want to have happen is that somehow I get in the way of, seeing, of you seeing him. That maybe I'm not up to your expectations. You never thought that you'd have to listen to a little man with a bow tie on a, on a stool tell you about Jesus. You, you, you thought maybe there was going to be a choir that swayed with robes. And I'd do a little hooping on the way, which has nothing to do with basketball, by the way. I don't know what you thought. But I'm probably not that which met your expectations. Nor is our congregation. But I'm begging you, please don't let me or anything we do get in the way of you finding Jesus because he's here. You came to the right spot. He's here. He's not any more here than he is in other churches. We're not any better than any other congregation. In fact, we probably have more issues if you stay around long enough. We work really, really hard to try to figure out how to do right, but we aren't as right as we should be. Therefore, we can't be and do as right as we want to do. But in our fallibility, please don't miss the fact that Christ is here. And he's trying to get to you. He's trying to show himself to you. Mary can't find him. He's not where I laid him. Searching, not finding. Finding, but not recognizing. After the angels tell her that, Jesus shows up. He says, whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. She says, oh, tell me where you laid him. I'll go ahead and pick him up. She didn't even know it was him. She just had no clue that she needed to believe what he said before he died. That the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the priests and the scribes. They're going to beat him. They're going to kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise from the dead. She didn't remember any of that. She's stuck in her period of mourning and loss. Who are you looking for? Tell me. I'll go get him. Please recognize today. The way she, she, she began to recognize was that God spoke to her. Is God talking to you this morning? Can you hear him through what I'm saying? Can you hear him aside from what I'm saying? Because the best sermons are those that aren't preached by a human being. Oh, they're the inspiration behind how the Holy Spirit speaks. But the Holy Spirit is the best preacher. He is the best one to present whatever needs to be said to you. And though I might be able to say your name, Jacquez, Simon, Lucy, nobody can say it like Jesus. And when he calls you, you perk up in a hurry. You realize, this is different. This isn't that preacher up there. God's talking to me. And you don't know how to describe it. It's not an audible voice. You just know it down on the insides. There's this knower that knows. How, how, do you know, how, did you, how did you know when you needed to give your heart to Jesus? He was undeniable. There was no light. I didn't see a beam from heaven. No angelic being showed up. I just knew God told me, repent. And although somebody was saying it through English, he spoke it to my heart. Mary. Oh, oh nobody says my name like him. That's you. That's you. You're like, you're like, you were dead. You're like, oh, out of her mind. Out of her mind. And what did it do when he spoke her name? First thing she did was turn. She turned. When you recognize it's important that you repent. Repentance is a beautiful gift. 
It's the first one that God gives on the way to, repent, uh, on the way to salvation, repentance. It simply means this. If you were going this direction, you'd take a 180 and you go that way. I'm not following my way anymore. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to say what I want to say. I'm going to let Scripture be the, the guide by which I live my life. I'm going to take its tenets to be my own. I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my heart. No longer am I going to be the master of my own destiny. He is. When you do that, you turn. After you hear him calling your name today, turn, please. Turn. Forsake your way and follow his. Now, there is no description of what happens next because there's a recognizing the turning, then there's a turning in the clinging. So when you turn and you get to the cling, obviously there has to be a reduction in distance between the two. So wherever Jesus was and wherever Mary was, that distance decreased in a hurry. And I don't think Jesus ran to Mary. I think Mary ran to Jesus. How fast do you want to get to him? And if, you are, if you're waiting, what for? What are you waiting for? When he calls you like he calls you, like nobody else can, hurry up and get to him. Privilege of your life to be called by Almighty God. I dare say, regardless of your political affiliations and who you like and who you don't, if you saw the White House number come up on your phone and somebody from over there said, I'd like you to come because I want to discuss this, this and such issue with you, even if you didn't like who was there, you surely would be impressed. Did I get too political? Some of y'all, you should, there should have been a greater response at that point, but there wasn't. And I'm not quite sure what I, what, what, what I didn't say that was said. <laughs> I can't say anything anymore. Lord have mercy. Don't get mad. It's Easter. <laughs> if somebody of importance thought it was really important for you to be with them, to counsel, they had a position, a job description, they had an assignment for you, you'd, you'd run home and tell the wife, I got a call from someone. Bill Gates called me today. Yeah. He wants me to serve as his advisor for Microsoft. Yeah. You don't know anything about computers. <laughs> Why did he call you? I don't know, but he called me. God wants you to help steward the world. You don't know anything about, I know, but he called me. He called me. Wow. Decreased the, the distance. Ran to him. And that turning caused a clinging. Clinging. I'll stay with you. So much so, so clingy was Mary that Jesus had to say, stop, stop, stop clinging to me. Hang on to him like that. Make it, make it so uncomfortable. One of those long, uncomfortable hugs that people give you. You know what I'm talking about? You know what you, it, stop, please, now. We're done. Mission complete. You can let go. You let, you, it, one of those. Stop, Mary. But see, Mary had, had a motivation. She lost him once. She lost him once. Hey, let him go. You've been too good to me. I don't ever want to let you go. But he said, you got to let me go because both of us have jobs now. I got to go and be, be with the father for a minute. But you got to go and tell 
I'm giving you a responsibility. You got to go and tell. Go tell your brothers that I go to their father and my father, my God and their God. Go, 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 go. Hurry. And the last responsibility you have after clinging is telling somebody. Tell somebody your story. There are a lot of people that have no hope and are without God in this world. They need the kind of hope that you have on the inside, the resurrection of our God, Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that distinguishes us from every kind of sociological thought, every philosophical thought, every religious thought, from every other purpose, important idea in the world, is that death was conquered through Christ. Everybody has to submit to it. We do not. We get to survive death. Oh, our physical bodies waste away. But death has no sting to it anymore for us. We graduate to another level. This is the thing that separates us, is that the grave is empty. And we need to go tell somebody, you can survive death. It's inevitable that you go through, but you get to survive it. I beg you, go tell somebody. I know you feel like you're imposing your religion on somebody else. Well, if you had the cure for cancer, you wouldn't feel so bad about trying to give it to somebody that just found out they had six months to live. In fact, you'd be their hero, and you'd consider it your duty. If you did not, you'd consider your life not worth much anymore because you were so derelict and you let the other person die. I beg you, this is more important than the cure for cancer, though the cure for cancer is huge. This is the cure for death. Tell somebody. Be an emissary of his kingdom and tell somebody in love and kindness that they get the privilege of giving their heart to Christ and providing, surviving death. Let's pray.